has beautiful um, this theme of water, um, including the beautiful psalm, and, and how much water shows up in the Bible. Um, obviously, it's the origin of life, right? Um, uh, we are made mostly of water. But in John's Gospel, this theme of water builds on itself. Matter of fact, the reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, um, as a Septuagint version, the Greek version of that chapter, if you were reading John's Gospel in the first century, you would hear Isaiah 44. You would be, you would be hearing Isaiah 56 probably as well. Uh, and so that's part of what John's doing here. And uh, those of you here for Ash Wednesday, the idea that Jesus said you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Well, it keeps building. This, the, John keeps building on itself. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 4. I'm actually going to read, during the course of the sermon, we're going to look at more than what's in your bulletin here. We're going to start with these first 15 verses. It's just an amazing story. I mean, I think part of the problem with preaching it is you just want to stay out of the way of the, of the you just want to stay out of the way of the sermon, right, or of the text, because the story tells itself. But I, I want to bring out some of these amazing things that are here. So listen to the word of God. Oh, by the way, uh, I am supplementing the sermons with periodically. I'm recording a little bit of extra Bible study, so. Uh, I, I haven't dropped it yet, but I did a little bit more of chapter 3. Uh, the Ash Wednesday service is available, so if you go to either on our website or go to Resident Exile Sermons, you can get these sermons. So periodically, I'm just going to be doing a little 15, 10-minute supplement because it's, there's so much here. All right, listen to the Word of God, John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard... Quote, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who were doing the baptizing. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. He was going north, for those of you who know your geography there. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to the Samaritan city called Sychar. Today, that's Nablus, and there's still a city there near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well? And with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become to them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. May God bless you hearing and reading his holy word. Let us pray. 
Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living one. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray. Amen. In February of, of 2012, I was in Morocco uh, with a man from uh, my church. He was an elder who had a water business, but he donated his time to help. At this point, he was doing things in Morocco. We were actually there working with rural schools uh, in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. We were working with a principal who was also a lay imam uh, in his mosque. And we were trying to bring water to these rural schools so that girls would stay in school, very similar to the project in Africa. And so we're on this desolate, windswept place, um, a beautiful uh, step that you could oversee valley and such. And we are taking water about a half a kilometer straight up a hill without any electricity. Okay? It was really great. It was fun because I kind of learned firsthand how the ancient Egyptians and, and the Greeks and Romans. So we, we made a Archimedes, um, an Archimedes pump, if you would. Okay? So those of you, any engineers, that's about as far as I can go with my engineering. <laughs> but because I was the least skilled person on the crew, there were three of us, my job was to run the pump or run the pipe to the, to the uh, well. So obviously there's very little damage I could do by just carrying the pipe, right? So I'm approaching this well. There's, it's a very small village. Uh, the Sheik's house is over here. There's a little school up in the hill. There's a little mosque. And I'm approaching this well. And suddenly there's a woman approaching the well as well. And suddenly I had this kind of this is like, kind of like Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, I don't have too many delusions of grandeur. But, but for a minute there, I was like, okay, this is, this is really powerful. I'm here trying to help this, these people. And here comes this woman to the well. And, and so I, I'm kind of excited. I'm carrying the pipe. And, 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 and then I realized I don't really speak Arabic. And, um, and if she's, I don't speak Berber either. Uh, so... In, in a very bad French accent, I said, bonjour, and I said, your country's beautiful. That's about all I knew. And she looked up at me, and she started just talking. Started asking questions, and she was really intense. And I had no idea what she was saying. And I, I said, uh, you know, whatever you do, you know, whatever little language, you ever realize if you're in a foreign country, it doesn't matter what country it is. Like, for instance, I said, I started speaking German, because that's the only thing I could remember. And... Uh, and after she talked, then she realized that I couldn't understand what she was saying. And, and I, she had this look of utter disgust on her face. I don't know if she spit on the ground and she walked away. And um, I was just another man who had probably let her down, right? He couldn't help her. I didn't know what she needed. But Jesus was a different kind of man. A different kind of man in... This Samaritan woman certainly never met. Different kind of man than any of us have ever met as well. And so, you know, it's funny. We've been talking off and on about this, the campaign that was the Super Bowl ad, He Gets Us. Uh, well, what's really consistent is whether it be Christians today or people in the Bible, um, they don't get him. In fact, I think we still have trouble getting him as well. 
You know, for instance, the Nicodemus conversation, those of you who are here on, on Ash Wednesday, Nicodemus is an insider. He's a leader of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's an educated and trained man. And guess what? The whole conversation he has with Jesus, he gets more and more confused. He comes at night and he walks away probably even more confused than he was before. Yet here, one of the most fruitful theological conversations Jesus has with anyone. It's the longest conversation he has with anyone in the entire gospel. And so Jesus is in Samaria. I won't go deep into this. You've probably learned this before. Samaritans, there were probably about 5 million Samaritans in the Roman Empire in that area. At this point today, there's only about 800 left. They've been brutally persecuted and such. But they were those Jews who had intermarried with Assyrians. And they were uh, only followed the first five books of the Torah. And they had their own version of the Torah as well. And so they were considered worse almost than Gentiles. They were considered heretical. They were considered that they had, um, they had mixed, the, mixed the breed. They were half-breed Jews. I mean, it was incredible prejudice against the Samaritans from the Jews. So people would walk around Samaria to go to Galilee. But Jesus didn't, didn't walk around. You know, the one thing that's pretty consistent about Jesus is pretty remarkable is that he doesn't seem to buy into the same kind of prejudices that those around him have. You know, one of the great scandals of Christianity is we impose on Jesus all of our badges. We make Jesus look a lot like us. And sometimes that ends up being our Jesus, the Jesus we paint ends up judging the people we judge, excluding the people we exclude. That's not who Jesus was. And this scene is, <laughs> I don't want to go too much into it, but there is a lot of potential innuendo on in this scene. This scene doesn't border on scandal, it is scandalous. First of all, you would not, if you were a rabbi, you would never talk to a woman unless she was your mother, your wife, or your daughter. You just didn't do that for lots of reasons. Secondly, you wouldn't do it alone. Thirdly, she is a woman of questionable character. We'll find that out in a minute. Okay. First of all, the clue is no one goes to get water at noon. Right? Getting water is a social thing. The women would all do it together and do it in the morning before the heat of the day, right? Okay. So why would this woman go at noon when no one else was there? Okay. But the biggest taboo was she was a Samaritan. Jesus doesn't seem to care about that stuff. Matter of fact, it's hard to know what her tone is, right? I don't think her tone is friendly. Now, this is a dangerous situation for her as well. A woman alone with a foreign man at the, at the, at the well. So she's, she's navigating things as well. But I think she's got some spunk. I think she's giving it back to Jesus. And you know what? 
The whole thing begins with Jesus asking for a drink. You know why I think Jesus asked for a drink? He was thirsty. He just wanted a drink. By the way, he doesn't seem to ever get the drink. <laughs> I, I think in all the Bible, Jesus only asks for two things for himself. And he doesn't get them. He asks for a drink here. And later on, the last night of his life, the last disciples to stay up and pray with him, and they don't do that either. All right. So the history of people following Jesus is that we disappoint him. Okay. So, you know, don't, everybody does. We all fall short, right? By the way, I think John's purposely foreshadowing. Jesus will ask for a drink one more time. Remember when that is? Yeah, when he's on the cross. And so, if you've ever been in a desert um, and where water is really scarce, this image of living water, okay? I mean, this well, okay, is roughly 1,400 years old. So for 1,400 years, people have been coming to this well to get water. Let's pick up the narrative. So Jesus said to her, go and get your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman responds, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Now, I think this is hilarious in, in some ways, right? And I don't think Jesus is not judging her. It's point of fact. Now, how could this woman have had five husbands? Well, um, divorce was pretty easy in the first century. And mortality was high, right? Okay. Five's a lot. Five's a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love her response. Uh, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she proceeds to change the subject. <laughs> she goes on. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but say, but you say the people should worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Now, well, I just want to point something out here. She changes the subject. And Jesus follows her. You know, if Jesus was a therapist, and she goes, he would go, oh, wait a minute, let's go back to that husband thing. <laughs> but he wasn't about condemning. He was about speaking the truth. He was about just saying reality. See, one of the great tragedies of the human condition is we feel that we have to lie about our realities. And one of the reasons we have to lie about our realities is people aren't really good at dealing with our flaws. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons we protect ourselves from being disappointed is because people disappoint us. One of the reasons we protect ourselves from being judged is because people are very judgmental. But Jesus, in part, was saying, I know you. I see you as you are. And I'm talking to you. Maybe because of it. You don't have to hide with me. I don't care what they think about you back in the village. I don't care what your family thinks about you. Matter of fact, I don't even care what my disciples are going to think about me when they see me talking to you, which happens later in the, in, in the book. I care about you. But I know you. 
I'm going to be, I'm, you, could, you, you may or may not choose to be honest with God, but God knows you. He goes on. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But you will worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's, there's, a, there's a powerful idea here. I mean, the temple's already destroyed when John's written. Probably been destroyed for at least 10 years. The Samaritan temple had been destroyed for 200 years. They worshipped in the ruins of that temple there. But Jesus said, you know, it's, it's not about your buildings. It's not about your rituals. And it's not about what you think, actually. To worship in spirit and truth doesn't mean your spirit. It doesn't mean you get to make it up. That's kind of where we live now. Okay? When people say, I'm, I'm in spiritual, it, it, it really most of the time means I'm, I'm, I'm me. I'm into me. Now, again, I'm not saying there's nothing. Mindfulness can be helpful. Meditation can be helpful. Again, I'm not certainly here defending institutional religion, but replacing bad religion with other bad religion doesn't help you. What Jesus, when he says worship the spirit of truth, is not you making it up as you go along. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. The truth is Jesus. He's inviting you into a relationship with the living God. Temples will come and go. But God doesn't. So anyway. (laughs) They continue to talk. And finally it gets to the point uh, where she says, I know the Messiah will teach us all things. And Jesus says, I am he, the one who's speaking to you. Actually, probably the translation of say I am he, probably the proper translation is I am. Okay. So John is hitting you over the head with who he is here. Okay. So just then the disciples came, they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What are you what do you do here? Why are you doing this? The woman left her jar and water and ran back to the city and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Okay. Now, first of all, can you imagine you're like back in the village? All right. This is a woman who probably has gotten around a little bit. Okay. And you're there doing your thing, and suddenly the woman says, hey, there's a guy out there who's told me everything I've ever done. I think there was a foot race between the wives and the husbands to get out there with Jesus, right? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right. You know what's really amazing about this? She doesn't say it. She's excited about it. I once had a staff person, um, Ed. Remember Ed? Ed was Mr. Prim and Proper. And he was a good guy. But he, he, was a, he was a good guy. He's done great work in his life. But he was right out of college. Uh, and he did his job really well. He was their children's director. And so we were doing staff reviews. And I had a, an elder who was an HR person. So we, we were doing staff reviews. And, and his staff review was stellar. There were just two needs improvement. Okay. And so we were going through this. And it was a beautiful review. And we... We gave him these two small, really small needs to improvement things. 
And suddenly this little mild and pleasing guy went, went ballistic. I mean, we were all kind of surprised. He starts saying, this is unfair. This is so wrong. I work so hard here. Who are you to condemn me? And we're all kind of like, and he goes, and this is going to be on my permanent record. And when he got done, I go, yeah, hey, Ed, there is no permanent record. They were lying to you in middle school. <laughs> they lose those files. And what was interesting to me about that was that his own sense of insecurity, he couldn't hear all the good stuff, right? He was afraid that if you see this thing about me that's not quite right, then you're going to see more of it's not right about me. And that's kind of how we are, right? But what's powerful about this passage, and I think this is the punchline, she says, this guy knows everything about me, and I'm free. I'm free. I'm forgiven. At the end of this text, if you remember, different people have been saying Jesus is different things. John the Baptist said he was the Lamb of God. Andrew said he's the Messiah. Nathaniel said, you're the king of Israel. Um, Nicodemus said, you are a teacher from God. What does this woman announce? He is the savior of the world. John 3.16, the summary of everything that's in the book. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And that he didn't come to condemn the world. This woman is the first person who really gets that. And that's what Lent is about. Lent is about looking at our lives so that we can have that same kind of freedom. There's all kinds of things that condemn us. And it's not that we haven't done things wrong. It's not that we still don't do things wrong. But the power is that God sees us, Jesus sees us, he tells us the truth, and he allows us to pick up and go in new ways. And when we stumble, he allows us to get up because he sees us, he knows us, there's no hiding, and it's okay. It's okay, because he loves us. That's why he came. The first evangelist of the Christian movement was a Samaritan woman with a little bit of a shady background. But he was set free. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and say what we believe in the words.